we're there, we're live. Everyone enjoyed their clap for the good old NHS and carers out there. I've had a ruffled start. I've just greeted Matt Fitzgerald, our guest tonight, with such indignity and just it's Matt Fitzgerald. So what? Just wait there, mate. I've got things to do. It's terrible. I feel terrible. But it's just been one of those days, one of those days, and even one of those days. Um, and of course it's been one of those days because obviously last time I spoke to Matt, which was back in December, who knew the world would be shut down? <laughs> no one guessed it. Matt may be probably one of the most intelligent sports writers and endurance athletes I know, but he didn't tell me that we were going to be locked in our houses. Um, but who was to know? So yeah, that's where we find ourselves in Munchet Life 43, very different times. Um, so yes, I want to start off before I get into, because I'm not thinking clearly, I've got to do things in order. So first of all, let's just say thanks to my sponsors, the Brighton Beer Company. Um, it's fa it's actually, it's quite funny because as well as online consultations in COVID-19, I've noticed the marked increase in bearded gentlemen and women who are partnered up with bearded gentlemen uh, contacting me for, what was that code you said for uh, um, uh, a discount on Brighton Beer Company? So that's great. I mean, that's, thank you very much, COVID-19 for that, for getting um, uh, me popular with my sponsors. But it is RCL15, um, we'll get you 15% off um, well, I'm biased, but what I feel is probably the best scented and best products available out there in the world. Um, www.thebrightonbeercompany.co.uk. Uh, that's where you need to go and do use the code RCL15. There we go. That's them done. So, right. Uh, what else I've got to announce before I bring Matt up? I'm so excited. Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit flustered because um, Matt's last book, Running the Dream, which we're going to talk about, um, it's not released in the UK until June the 2nd or something. Um, it's on Amazon Advertised. You can pre-order it. Um, it's exceptional. It's fantastic. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's inspired me so much on probably my last two months of running in particular where I had a little look through it. Um, I was given the honour of having a little look through it before it came out and uh, no, brilliant. Um, so yes, I'm very excited to talk about that with Matt. Um, also, um, another product of COVID-19 is um, we've been umming and erring and it's finally going to happen. Okay, so we are going to pretend that um, on the 29th and 30th of October, um, we're going to meet up in the same place for RCL 2020 International Running Conference. Um, the tickets are going to go live, as I've advertised, at nine o'clock tonight, UK time BST. There's 50 early bird tickets up for grabs. Um, ah, you're thinking, why am I going to spend some money on something that's probably not going to happen? Good point. Well, we don't know it's not going to happen yet. And to tell you the truth, one of my decisions to putting it live was to create a little bit of positivity. And you know what? If it can happen, we're going to be there. We may have to have a social evening of kind of rubbing elbows and things like that. So be it. But we're going to plan that is going to happen. Those who came last year know it's a huge venue in the college I, I lecture at. So um, it is possible to accommodate um, whatever measures we need to take with social distancing. Um, um, it's, the place is very, very well catered for in terms of hand wipes and all that things because we've got a working beauty salon there and a massage clinic. So it's all very well equipped to deal with the measures that need to be taken to place um, if that need be. If it can't be, if we get a second peak because idiots on the beach are not doing too meat, I went down with, that's why I'm flustered. I took my two kids out today down the beach thinking we'll have a paddle in the sea because it's beautiful. And at one point, I swear I was surrounded by like something out of The Walking Dead. I don't know what it was, the fauna in Lansing today. And they're all moving towards me. And I just grabbed my two kids and said, kids, when you see a gap, we're going to run through it because the people are just already not observing the two meters. If you're one of the people in Lansing weren't observing the two meters, please do, because otherwise it's going to be a second peak and we're going to be locked down for longer. So that's why I'm flustered, I think. My heart rate's just gone up. So I think that's what it's connected to. So here's just a little bit of a lecture. It's still two meters, people. Okay. Embrace the new rules put on by um, the government um, and go down the beach and go in the parks, but still. Don't give me COVID-19 or my kids and don't kill people, please. Okay, I'm getting too serious now, but it, that's what it's about. Anyway, <clears throat> and don't put my conference off. But if the conference does need to be, it can't go face to face. If that happens, if we can't meet up, there will be a virtual version. So anybody who gets the tickets and the early bird prices, you will have the virtual version, including all 10 speakers. Um, and uh, the two 90 minute speakers will be live and you'll be able to ask Q&As and we will provide that. Um, but I'm hoping touch wood, fingers crossed, we can, it can be run chat live and not run chat online, virtual conference. I don't want to do that. I want to be live. Fingers crossed. Anyway, nine o'clock, they will go live. All the speakers are announced on there. It's a fantastic lineup. Um, and uh, talking of the speakers, here's one tonight who's going to be there, hopefully, touch wood. 
we pray. That's true. You've heard it here now. I've been dying to tell you um, personally. But yeah, Matt Fitzgerald will, God willing, be joining us in Brighton in the UK um, to give a fantastic talk. Um, and oh, it's off my chest now. I can relax. I hope it comes together. And that's just Matt. When you see the other nine, well, prepare yourselves. Anyway, right. Let me just check if I missed anything else that I need to talk about um blah 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 no i've left them down there long enough um so let's bring up um uh, a washed out flaked out pretend pro runner that's his own words not mine and um, we'll bring him up now <laughs> hey matt how you doing <laughs> <laughs> better now <laughs> It's not quite the intro I gave you last time. Sorry about that. I'm just quoting you. Um, you don't look washed out. You look very, very well. Thank you. you very well. Yeah, you look very well. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I was just, I'm sorry about the lengthy intro. I think I've worked out why I was ruffled. What's it like? You're in Oakdale, California, is it? That's right. What's the social distancing like over there? What are you supposed to be doing and what are people doing? <clears throat> yeah, people, uh, I could relate to what you were saying. Um, it's almost like a, a memo was passed around my neighborhood on one day that I didn't get. Everyone just kind of gave up uh, on the same day, it seemed, uh, which is too bad. I mean, uh, I, um, I, I don't have a crystal ball any more than anyone else does, but uh, you kind of have to trust the experts. I mean, this is what I do as a runner and a coach, right? Like, I, you know, I'm not an expert on everything, so I try to suss out whose opinion uh, carries the most weight with me and it's no different with this so uh, i'm still playing by the rules uh yeah everyone would. <laughs> i just don't like being this cynical old man who just you know thinks oh the general public are idiots and i've got more faith in the general public and but then i see the people out in the general public and i think you know what i don't know what it is maybe they are i don't know if idiots the right word but people just i don't know anyway Let's not get into a COVID-19 uh, discussion. I've already had enough of that. Anyway, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, for those of you who I've got to presume or not, I've got to remember that some of you might not know Matt yet. Um, um, in which case, I'm just going to take you through a quick guide through some of his books and make him feel really old. Uh, let's bring this up here because they start a long way back. Um, that was Brian Beer Company. Um, brain training for runners was probably the first one that got me heavily onto Matt um, because it's just a fantastic connection between kind of newest science concepts that were coming out at the time and pain and the central governor theory. And it just took it all and mixed it with running. And I was just like, oh my God, this is exactly what I was looking for. We put it together. Um, so I thanked Matt before for that. And I thank you again, Matt. But that is the book where if, if you're going to like start anywhere, there's so many, but that was like on my, in fact, I've got two of them because I thought I'd lost it and I bought it again. And that's the only book on my shelf I saw the other day where I've got two of them next to each other, but that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. If I'm going to have two of anything, that would be it. Um, so brain training for runners for me is a classic, um, needs to be there. Run fast was another one with Brad Hudson, which is great for coaching. Matt, of course, has got his online um, website as well to help with coaching and plans. Is that going well, Matt? Has that picked up at all or changed at all with COVID? Yeah, I mean, we took a hit. I mean, how could we not, right? Uh, we sell training plans to athletes. Uh, you don't need a training plan if you don't have a race to do. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, athletes, just like the general public, folks are getting restless. So people are buying plans, I think, even without the certainty that they'll have a race to do it at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I've been preaching and telling people that now more than ever, is a time to have a plan because there's obviously the temptation to go out and just run every day because you're allowed to and motivation goes out the window so i felt that people even though they've got races coming out this is where they really need some structure i've been sending all sorts of people to coaches um but yeah so um run fast is a fantastic bible as well um it's got some uh, fantastic um ideas and sessions in there uh, 80 20 running which i've talked about a few times on previous podcasts um, is the 80-20 running, which everyone talks about. I might not know that Matt, again, brought this to light um, following research. And um, that was the first book I saw that put it into great print and um, talking about the concepts. And again, that was a good time back now as well. Um, how bad do you want it? We get into real kind of great titles now. There's a trait with the titles where they get a little bit more kind of... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> 
how bad do you want it mastering the psychology of mind over muscle great book as well diet cults he really went over the top here of the title you can see that <laughs> uh, but that's matt's also a nutritionist um which is um another string to his bow um, but that's a fantastic book as well uh, in terms of busting myths or misconceptions um the endurance start i could go on forever there's so many life is a marathon um is the uh, reason i was so delighted to talk to matt last time I will let you talk in a sec, Matt. Sorry, I'm just got to get this off my chest. But um, and that was just I've still got a guilt trip over not realizing what was going on through Matt's life whilst I was devouring and enjoying all his articles in the magazines um, and the books. And, and, and yeah, I still actually feel bad about it. And the other day. Yeah, I can say this out loud, I think. Yeah, the other day I was about to have road rage because people had gone mad in driving as well. And because of this book, Life is a Marathon. I've thought more and I really have thought more. I don't know what's going on in that other person's life, you know, and that was something that came out from reading that book. And when you do read that book and you realize what can be going on in someone else's life, it may well, I'm just saying it may well stop road rage. Cause if you read that book, you realize that there's plenty going on behind the scenes. Um, and, but also it's just a beautiful book as well. It's a story of love of running, um, love of Nataki, your partner, love of your dog, Queenie, and uh, and just written in your fantastic style of comedy and drama and, and just for runners and everybody. So I would recommend that book to everyone as well. But finally, geez, can I talk anymore? We get to, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to uh, run that one by you, Matt. <laughs> it's all been leading up to... Yes. Um, Matt was also actually had some trophies for disco dancing in the 1990s. No, it's not at all. There's just a wonderful picture, which I totally love. And I've actually got blown up and put onto my kitchen. Uh, no, I haven't really. But there's that sums up uh, the relationship of Matt and Nataki when it's at its best, I think. And look at that shirt and those pearls. Brilliant. Um, I just want to bring that up to make Matt blush. That's all. What we're actually going to talk about is uh, running the dream. I've got there finally. Right, Matt. Maybe you can tell me, why did I introduce you as a flaked out wannabe pretend pro runner? What's running the dream all about? It's about a washed out flaked, what? <laughs> loser, just a loser, that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 49 years old. I started running when I was 11. Um, I, I have a great passion for it. That's why I'm still at it. Um, and, you know, I. I was also good at it. You know, I, I sucked at every other sport um, and I wasn't bad at running. Um, and I think so many people, when they fall in love with running and they're at all competitive and competitive can just mean you want to improve, right? At whatever level you're at. And, and I knew I, even when I was in high school, you know, I knew I wasn't going to the Olympics, but I did, I loved running enough um, that I, I really dreamed of just being able to see how good I could be. Um, and a lot of time went by and, you know, I, I get into, into my forties and I look back and I think, you know, I never, I never really did take it all the way. Um, it just didn't kind of work out partly because I burnt out and quit for a while, uh, at the end of high school, in my late teens and early to mid twenties. Then I got back into running in a big way, but I was constantly breaking down, constantly getting injured, um, and just couldn't get enough momentum going to, um, you know, again, I, the goal wasn't to get a shoe contract from Nike or anyone else or, um, you know, represent my country in some, uh, you know, international competition. It was just to, to feel like I fulfilled whatever God-given ability I had. Um, and then, but when I was 45, going on 46, um, I had a little bit of a reprieve. I got a little bit of momentum going and I said, you know what? The time is now. So I reached out to the NAZ Elite professional running team in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. That's a high elevation location for all of you who do not know. Um, uh, ran this harebrained scheme by the coach, Ben Rosario. I asked him if I could just sort of be as this middle-aged, slow and getting slower guy, um, if I could join the team, just embed myself and be an honorary member of this team of truly aspiring Olympians with shoe contracts. Um, and just to live the experience, not just for myself, but as a writer, so I could, you know, share it with others. Because let's face it, um, I was thrilled to get a yes from Ben, but that's not an experience that 
is highly scalable or replicable. Not, it's not like everyone can go out and do it. Like reading this book is as close as most of us are going to get. So that's, that's, what a, that's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those of you, um, I always recommend people do join us for the live um, show because then you can see the pictures I'm putting up. Um, if you don't, then maybe tune in next time. But for those of you who can't see the screen, I've got a picture of um, a fantastic picture. I've got to check, first of all, are you purposely... <laughs> In black and white in that picture someone touched it up so you are black and white was that part yeah of it was it touched or? up yeah. i uh Insane. it was it was uh the coach's wife jen rosario who took the photo but then yeah. afterward i had um a graphic artist add the labels and it was his idea actually to 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 make you gray and almost look like yeah. yeah yeah no it's it's great because it it I figured you'd had something to do with it and probably asked for it to be done because I mean, even the subtitle, what was it? It was great. It's got the longest subtitle I've ever seen. Um, your tagline was one summer living, training and racing with a team of world-class runners, half my age, just to kind of set it off. But who take us through a little bit. Um, for those of you you've already said, it's a very high altitude place, very popular. Um, but just to give people an idea of who you were training with, give run through maybe, I mean, well, you can see it. Let me put that full up and we'll hear you in the background. Run through the people who's in, actually in that photo, give us an idea of what their what their normal day to day routine is. Yeah, so um, probably the best known runner now. It, well, it's arguable. It's a toss up. Third from the left is uh, Scott Fable, who was identified as a two twelve marathoner then. He's actually now a two oh nine marathoner. He was the top American at Boston last year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see the the woman two positions to my left uh, to my right as we look at the photos, um, Stephanie Bruce. Um, she's a very well-known runner. She's won a few national championships here uh, in the US. Um, uh, just she, she has a huge fan base. She's very popular. I think we're gonna get into that a little bit more later. Um, but yeah, she's run, I think 227-ish for the marathon. So, I mean, these people are, you know, they're, they're the creme de la creme, you know, in American distance running. Yeah. And and one of the great things about your book, as in, well, it happened in Life in a Marathon as well, is you describe characters and then you just show, I mean, the relationship you have with these people during the runs in the time in between is just fantastic. And again, you're humanizing people who are just, according to the stats, are just um fantastic runners incredible athletes but then you show them in their lighter when they're relaxing and the stuff that they come out with is just brilliant we'll talk about that later on maybe as we go through a bit um so you set off in your fun mobile which made me laugh and um, which is uh yeah your code name for your what time is it mazda or something was it mazda yeah you still got that have you still running okay yeah yeah <laughs> for your journey it's just the way we don't, we don't use it much actually <laughs> nowhere to go the way you set it out is you're all in the car it's packed up you've got your foam roller your dog um uh, nataki and that and then i just had a look at the map of how long it was and it was it like a 10 and a half hour yeah 10 hours 57 minutes according to whatever this was on um just you in your in your fun mobile going to train with a bunch of yeah olympic uh, contenders how did you feel setting off i mean what honestly on day one the book is a great testimony to you your roller coaster ride thinking can i do this can i do this can i do this but when you left in the mobile, did you think, well, this is going to be experienced whatever way it goes? Or were you thinking, I've got to do this? You know, I mean, I created this experience as fantasy fulfillment for myself. Um, you know, so I uh, there's a line that appears after my I've just completed my first run with the team. And Nataki asked how I went. And I tell her, making sure that I can't be overheard. <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting away with this. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much how I felt. I mean, because it's not, it's not, I, I would have been nervous perhaps, or more nervous if I felt I wasn't going to be in any way competitive with these people, but I was so much older, so much slower. And I'm not slow, but I mean, I didn't have to worry about losing, you know, like that was, that was already baked in. You know, I was going to be the slowest person, the slowest runner I ever saw for 13 weeks. So there was no, you know, performance anxiety per se. Um, I was worried about uh, just, I guess, surviving because I mentioned that I am injury prone and I was definitely going to be training like a pro. Um, but I was mostly just excited um, 
I knew it was going to be the experience of a lifetime. It just all the details remained to be filled in. I guess the writer in me was a little anxious because I, I needed to come out of it with a good story. Um, and that remained to be seen, you know, <laughs> I just, I didn't know. So I almost, I guess, felt cha challenged more as a writer than, than as a runner going into it. And was, had you decided when you set off in your fun mobile that I'm going to write this, whatever happens, even if I don't achieve my dreams, even if I have to pull out, even if injury stops me, I'm still going to write about the experience. Or were you a little bit, I'm not quite sure if this is going to be a book or not. Uh, no, I was pretty determined to make it work uh, one way or another. And yeah, which was frightening because it, this was all leading up to the Chicago marathon. I mean, you need a climax, right? Just like, you know, it's, it's sport. Uh, and <laughs> so, uh, and I was actually able to run the Chicago Marathon as an elite, you know, with a, an elite bib, uh, just an incredible opportunity. And yeah, I mean, there was a chance I wasn't even going to make it to the start line, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let, let alone perform in a way that would be satisfying for readers. But I took some uh, measure of comfort from my literary inspiration uh, for this book, which is a book called Paper Lion by a writer named George Plimpton. He did basically the same experiment in American football back in the early 1960s. And um, he's, uh, he's a better writer than I am, not as good an athlete, definitely not as good a football player. <laughs> he was, but it's different, you know, American football is more of a fan sport. But anyway, anyway, the big climax for his book was supposed to be, he was supposed to get to play in an inter-team scrimmage at the end of a, a summer training camp. So not a real game, but the closest thing to it. And the coach at the last minute didn't put him in. So like his big climax just went up in smoke. And I know the, you know, the writer in him had to be pooping his pants when that happened, but he made it work. The book sold a million copies. They made a movie out of it and he got to play himself in the movie. So that, that was, my thought was, you know what, if he can make it work, even though his big climax was, uh, uh, you know, a, a come down, yeah. <laughs> you know, then I'll find a way great stuff i mean it's i say it because one of the great things about your book and which manages to make it into like a, a like a fictional kind of exciting book is because because you're continuously making the reader think you know what? i'm not sure he's going to do this because you doubt yourself this whole time we're really not sure as we're reading along whether you're going to do it or not you know it's tricky because obviously this was going back um 2017 wasn't it yeah so anybody who who kind of knew who were following you at the time because you were putting stuff out on twitter whilst you were doing this but for people who have bought the book um, i'd always i'm always recommend it i'm always tempted to make sure that we don't actually say what you managed or if you managed it but i'm gonna have to at some point um because it is a great work if it was fiction it would be a thrilling ride it's just fantastic but i'm gonna ruin that now because i, I want to put it in there because i need to ask this next question just to put some perspective on it so talk us through what your at the time you set out what your current best marathon was and how long when you'd set that um what your most recent marathon was and so in other words what you were chasing how many minutes you were going to try and claw back in that time frame yeah um so i uh i had run uh my best marathon was 241 i, I ran that time at age 37 so nine years had passed and in those nine years, I hadn't come within eight minutes of that time and not for lack of trying. I'd run a bunch more marathons, um, but uh, the, uh, shortly before I left for Flagstaff is actually, I ran a 249 and change marathon. So that was the best I'd managed to do since the 241. So I lost about eight minutes in, in nine years, but I ran that time, you know, not in the best of circumstances. Um, so I knew that um, I, I could improve uh, and I was definitely going to the right situation to gain some improvement. You know, I had never trained at high altitude before, assuming I responded well, you know, maybe that could shave a, a minute or two off that 249. Um, you know, my sort of dream time, like my Olympics was a 239 marathon. I wanted to join the sub 240 club and, um, and you know, didn't, never quite got there. And I, I'd given up on it. I, I had because, you know, 
you know, I, I kept trying, I kept doing the best I could and I just wasn't getting anywhere close. So, you know, time catches up with all of us sooner or later. But, you know, I, I, I went into Flagstaff because you can't help it. You know, if you're, if you're a competitor, if you're just, you know, a passionate athlete, you can't help but be a little bit irrational and think, well, maybe, maybe the impossible is possible. Who knows? So, you know, I had a secret fantasy scenario of getting that 239. But you know, honestly, there was a voice in my head who, who said, like, that's impossible. Like, don't. Uh, so I felt like, you know, I could get my happy ending with any measure of improvement. But a PR would be great. And then, you know, my again, my secret agenda, uh, my hope against hope uh, was that 239. I think it's important to remind people because I can feel some people watching this now will go, I would already ran a, a 247 or whatever it was. And oh, well, then, I mean, Jesus, of course he could. But we're talking about chopping nine minutes off nine years later, you know, and, and most of my a lot of my because I'm of that age as well a lot of runners who i seem to attract are runners who are dealing with being a veteran runner and that's like 35 plus and they're seeing their times come down and they're asking how what could i have to keep doing and 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 it's very easy for runners to play the age card and just kind of say you know what i just got to try and kind of dawdle along see what i can do but once i'm 35 i've read the research it's, you've got less testosterone it's not going to happen so it is actually something quite ridiculous to plan i'm going to take nine minutes off and nine years after it just especially that age is just is something ridiculous just for people wondering um so yeah that was your goal but you didn't even like telling the people you were around were you in the book i don't know how long it was until you opened up to you said you wanted 239 was that because you were just was that because you felt it would jinx it or were you like embarrassed about telling the other people or what was the deal there uh yeah i you know normally i don't mind you know putting myself uh under pressure but that just seemed a bridge too far. It really did. It just, you know, <laughs> honestly, um, yeah, I was, I was really cagey about my goal because everyone was asking, uh, you mm, know, of course. My, my teammates, the, the, the new friends I made in the running community out there. I was, it was the obvious question. Um, and yeah, it, it wasn't until strangely, I, so I did suffer a pretty significant injury about halfway through and the first time I actually articulated that goal, it was to the coach, Ben Rosario. And it was when it never seemed more insane because I couldn't even <laughs> run at that point. I, I couldn't run a step, let alone PR in the marathon. And I, I told him, this is what I want. Let's make it happen. <laughs> seemed like the best time to say it, just lay it on the table. And that's something else in the book. There's a, there's a cup because there's the Achilles, there is the adductor strain. There's a few things which do make it a roller coaster of a ride, which just adds to it. And, and the characters you meet in dealing with these injuries, um, which is something, if I can, I might go through uh, later on with the people you meet. Um, but yeah, let me just, uh, before we go, I just want to say hi to a few people I know watching. So Daniel Gerber, hey, how are you doing? Um, thank you for joining us. Um, well, you've heard me talk about the bearded women in Brighton before. I won't go into any more, but they do exist. Um, Jim Gare, Russ, hey, how are you doing? Thanks for the uh, chance to chat with your running group the other night. That was lovely. Um, it was a really great group. Um, it was so nice, as I said, talking to runners and hearing what they believe and what their concerns are in 2020, instead of quoting some 2014 paper. Um, Emma Bergen-Kisby, um, nice to see you. I hope you can make it down for the conference. That'd be great. Matthew Scarsbrook as well is in the house. Thank you very much. He says, I'm sold. <laughs> well, yeah, you should just come for Matt. It's worth it just to see Matt speak. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are nine others. I don't want to belittle the other nine at all, because believe me, when you see it go live at nine o'clock, you'll be like, really 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 and now i've got day two it's exceptional i'm so happy um with the lineup i don't know how i was going to beat not beat last year but i don't know what i was going to do as an encore after last year but i've managed it he's managed it um james holland just have to say let's put this up so we can have a look those of you who are in the studio live can see it james holland says just have to say i'm a bit late to the matt fitzgerald party um but red 80 20 running two months ago and it's great sticking to the plans feeling great legs feel fresh yeah it's fantastic it's a great book and it's amazing how many runners still aren't kind of following that principle. It's not the solution to everything at all, but it's such a great thing to organize your training um, for, for so many reasons. So, yeah, I would encourage everyone to look at that book. Thank you, James, for the comment. Um, and E. Teresa Tui says, Life as a Marathon is a fantastic, as are the rest of the books. Let's put that up as well, just so that is now going to have YouTube forever. Thank Hi, you, Teresa. Teresa. <laughs> oh, do you know Teresa? Yeah. All right. Fellow, fellow Yankee. <laughs> I feel a Yankee. Um, yeah, it's an amazing book. 
Um, I've got to try and stay away from it because I still, I mean, it's in my, without, I don't know why it is it touched me so much. I don't know what it is, but I would definitely say it's in the top. What am I going to go with? 90. Oh, shut up. No way. <laughs> I was thinking 10 or 5. I was thinking 10 or 5. I'm going to go with 10 for now, but it could easily be pushed up to 5 because I've got a bad memory of other books I've read, but definitely in my top 10 of books that have affected me and changed my life. There we go. That's that done. Because it has done. Maybe it just hit me at the right time and stuff, but it was amazing. Um, right. Let's have a little scroll through because um, I want to make sure I've got some particular questions I need to ask you. Um, these are all just making me smile because I want to ask them, but we're not going to have time to do it. Um, dun -dun 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 -dun. Yeah, we mentioned that. Mentioned the time. A few of the characters. Let's talk about, let's give Steph a mention because I mean, there's so many characters in your book who you've mentioned, but I think Steph was a, a great character. And it's just one example of someone who you talk to on many different levels on your highs and your lows. And um, she was giving you some fantastic advice and things. Let's bring a little picture of up here so we can bring it to light. I'm now following her. I, I must admit, I don't know if it's a British thing or just a fact, I don't know. I wasn't a follower of her before, but now I am. Um, there she is. I've got the right photo, haven't I? Of course I have. I know I have. That's her. And we know because in the book, I've put the cursor on here now. I don't know if that shows on the screen. But you draw attention to Steph, how she actually got some notoriety. There was one quote because there's idiot things that some keyboard warriors say. Um, what do we have? We had a picture of her pre-pregnancy. I'm not sure which the picture was. but There's a fantastically beautiful picture of Steph running. It's amazing. It's incredible. But yeah, you mentioned in the book, someone said, someone wrote on a blog, this picture is sick. I don't know if it's this picture, by the way, but it was a picture. This picture is sick and you're destroying your body. You're not a role model for our women and young girls. There we go. Keyboard warriors. Fantastic. But then in actual fact, Steph turned the tail, turned the tape round and kind of became a fantastic mole model. I should have had a alert there for anyone who's a little bit squeamish but this is something we need to not be squeamish about um, because in fact after she had the baby which was Riley I think a second if I remember right from your book um, yeah there was a fantastic example if you can call it fantastic of the diastis recti which is something which happens with the abdominal walls and and after pregnancy that don't close completely um, and even when your body does get back to kind of normal you can be left with skin hanging over which is you describe Steph and and she became a fantastic role model um and I think it hit me at the time because I've been working a lot um and we're going to have a podcast soon um with Emma Brockwell and uh Gronier Donnell who have recently put out a uh, guide to returning after pregnancy um for female runners because it's something that's been lacking and it doesn't really exist and um, Tom Goom as well got involved. There was a three of them put it together and it's just been published. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic um, wake up call to uh, just talking about female runners besides the injury thing about when, how do you know when to go back running? So people like Steph here are just fantastic role models as well. Um, it's amazing um, and not hiding what happens if once you had babies and Shane that you can just continue running. And she continues running, doesn't she? Has she gone on from strength to strength afterwards or is this really telling me she's not running anymore? No, she's still get getting after it. Um, yeah. yeah, she she's uh, she's like a fine wine, getting better um, mm. with age. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, she, most of her major accomplishments happened really after my, my time there, when she was you know well well past thirty. So a great model, a role model in that regard uh, as well. Yeah, she certainly is. I would recommend that people out there would uh, yeah give your Instagram feed a clean and and follow um, yeah this lady for some inspiration definitely and all the people she hangs out with as well. It's a great club, um, and then it'll mean more in the book when you read about what how Steph gets involved in the kind of um, yeah conversation she has with Matt. Um, we'll come to that at the end. Right, let me give you a story about. I'm interested in some of the things which. What if you had to put in order? I mean, I want to know what you think helped you achieve it yes he did achieve it spoiler alert he did achieve it okay i've got to say that now because otherwise the rest does makes no sense but you did achieve it which is incredible enough in itself and the journey to achieving it is what the read's all about and it's fantastic the ups and the downs but when you look back on it because there was a few things there which you were changing you mentioned it in the books which i might mention soon if you don't but what were some of the highlights of things which you felt you were doing differently which allowed you to get this nine minutes yeah, um, I, I have this mental image of a pie chart 
with uh, a different slice and a different color representing each of the contributing factors to the improvement that I experienced there. And even before the, the marathon, um, I was experiencing an incredible transformation. You know, I was, I was losing weight. I was just feeling younger. I was experiencing my body. It was almost like I was aging in reverse. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of time to think about, you know, what is happening to me? <laughs> Why? And, you know, because there were so many little factors. It's hard to uh, decide, you know, how big to each make each slice of that pie. And there was the altitude. Uh, there was, um, you know, I was running on these trails at, at, at where I live in, in California, not a lot of good trails to run on. So I was doing all my easy runs on soft surfaces. That helped, you know, coached strength workouts, um, physiotherapy resources, you know, really good massage therapists, you know, just, you know, making me hurt uh, once a week, every week. Um, you know, not cutting corners with warmups and stuff, you know, little stuff like that, you know, because before I even left California, I felt, oh, I'm a knowledgeable, experienced and very dedicated runner. I'm already pretty much doing things the way the pros do. Well, uh -uh. you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I was doing things closer to how the pros do than maybe the, the average runner. But there was still um, even with my diet, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a nutritionist. I, I kind of know what I'm doing with food. But I, the runner, the member of the team that um, I happened to live with while, while I was out there, Matt Yano, just, I mean, his his diet is just immaculate. And, and I don't want to overstate that because he, he has a sweet tooth. That, that's the thing. You can do that. It's okay. But uh, it, it was tough to meet his standards for just overall quality of his diet. But I tried. And that's, I think that's part of the reason I, I lost nine pounds. So all these little factors. And <clears throat> so those are the... Those are the ones I might have expected because uh, I only I had a mental list. You know, I hope to gain a minute off of this and maybe a minute and a half off of that. But I think some of the intangibles also made a huge difference. You know, I was just so happy to be there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a great quote I love from uh, the great uh, British champion marathoner from ages past, Ian Thompson. He said, when I'm running well, I'm happy. And when I'm happy, I'm running well. Um, and I think I benefited from that, uh, that two-way street. Um, just the beauty of the environment, the teammates, you know, just, you know, all, all the stuff that you, it's hard to, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to really explain the same way that you can explain how altitude affects your body. But I, I think all, all those psychological, social, even spiritual factors, uh, weighed in as well yeah i mean as somebody who spends a lot of his life trying to put the evidence back into running injury performance i was cringing a little bit at some of the things which was going on i mean the massage like monica was it monica yeah monica i remember yeah. from friends i mean it's interesting when, when people like myself who are looking at things like oh it hurts so much and i just kind of put up the pain because i wanted to it's something which we're always saying that you shouldn't kind of allow deep tissue therapy doesn't mean you should be biting a bit of wood and putting up with pain it can make things worse etc cetera, etc cetera. but of course everything's in context and again when i was talking to it was in um whose book it was in alex hutchinson's book endure where he was talking about um where some endurance athletes do potentially there's a theory it's not a research but putting up with pain doesn't actually increase your pain thresholds when you are on that run and having to overcome the pain so when you deal with this level of athlete maybe who knows maybe it is we've got some fantastic i normally in my presentations quote um it was paula radcliffe who her coach who had coached many 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 olympic uh, medals was said paula radcliffe's um tolerance for pain was just ridiculous that mm -hmm. she was like after a rugby player she was the second she literally she just demanded that he pummeled the hell out of her and i'm sitting there cringing thinking why there's no evidence in this it's just nothing physiologically you're not doing anything mm -hmm. you're not changing that person's tissues it's impossible however strong we think we are we can only exert like something like 50 newtons um, and to change some tissue, you need something like 8,000 newtons or 7,000 newtons. But it's the psychological thing, isn't it? That's what you were wrapped up in. That's what shines through the book. Um, and that's what we see a lot as well. You know, we see as soon as a world record is broken, whether it's boxing or running, suddenly three months later, everyone else is doing it. Tyson gets put down. Suddenly everyone's beating Tyson. You know, it's kind of a four minute miles broken. And suddenly, you know, everyone's running four minute miles. So 
and the Kenyans, the different nationalities become famous. You know, Kenyans are going out running all the time with fellow Kenyans and stuff. So, I mean, for me personally, and I was reading it, I'm thinking this guy is just the belief, the living it, the everything, plus all the other factors is huge. And like you say, a spiritual thing. But hey, everyone will get their own thing out of it. I was interested in the strength training because I was, I mean, you, you, you've made a living out of writing articles on on how to become a better endurance athlete and that did you seriously not know what a, an rsld was or had you just not seen that code you must have done a single leg deadlift before yeah no i hadn't seen uh i hadn't seen you know that coded description of, ah right okay of the exercise and the, the thing is like this is this is emblematic of why i improved you know Unlike many runners, I, I enjoy strength training. Um, and so you don't have to twist my arm to, to get me to do it and, you know, to invest some effort into it. But when, when you're training all by yourself, you don't, you don't have, you know, a, a real credentialed expert to guide you through the sessions. You don't have teammates to do it with. You get lazy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got into this zone where i just i didn't want to think up ways to freshen up my strength sessions i would just go there and do the same damn thing over and over and so you know the body's lazy like it only gets good at exactly what you demand it get good at and so that's why you know when i showed up and did that first uh there's lots of self-deprecating humor in the book yeah. <laughs> there's so much it's and wonderful I, and that, you know i i i was it was a humiliation that first strength workout because i it, it was it was shoved in my face just how i'd been slacking and cutting corners you know even with something that i felt was sort of one of my advantages you know that i actually liked strength training and, and knew more than nothing mm -hmm. about it but yeah so you know my strength training was just uh taken to another level while i was there and it became you know a, a, another one of those factors and were you noticing the actual was it surprising you the strength of certain exercises of the people who are around you then did you see what they were lifting as well and, and doing yes yeah um <clears throat> for sure <laughs> yeah. oh, no, I'm, just, I'm thinking of kellen taylor can you put that photo of kellen yeah taylor? yeah yeah. that was with the one which is running with uh steph yeah That's a, or, yeah she's uh they have their yeah so kellen uh is a beast she was firefighter what's that she the firefighter is that the professional yeah, firefighter? she was training yeah. to become a professional firefighter yeah yeah, yeah. she she was one of my absolute favorite people to write about mm -hmm. uh, because like she is just so kellen like she she's almost a caricature of her own self uh i mean my depiction of her in the book might even seem over the top but no that's that's kellen but anyway I, I, there was she she could do pistol squats all day and all all, all night like you know yeah, yeah um and you know I, I will say it like as a as a female athlete that's even that's even rarer to be able to to do I, one of the toughest body weight exercises you can name so yeah they they're impressive I, I mean again like these people weren't gonna go deadlift four hundred pounds but but in terms of um, if you go back to you know the 70s the top marathoners then like they didn't have abs like that right and it, you know part of the reason that performance standards have have gone up and careers have lengthened is because uh athletes really take this stuff seriously and they're strong yeah there's definitely um yeah a lot of evidence linking strength training and performance now um it's something yeah people like myself are always harping on about but it's great to hear that actually doing it in practice up there um what about i was interested in the yeah the whole altitude training you were having your iron levels taken weren't you did they change much i can't remember in the book if you mentioned how much they changed but that was being monitored wasn't it yeah yeah you know i didn't get into it too much but um you know obviously i had about five months or so to prepare for this between the time i emailed ben rosario and threw my half-baked scheme at him and he said yeah <laughs> Five months ish from that time to the time I landed in, in Flagstaff. And, and one of the things that, so Ben took over my training a little bit. He was like coaching me from afar because he wanted me to show up. He didn't want to just throw me to the wolves, you know, 
he wanted me to be somewhat prepared. And one of the things he recommended was that I tar- start taking supplemental iron uh, mm-hmm. because demands for it uh, were going to skyrocket once I got up to that elevation and started doing the training they were doing. And interestingly, as soon as I went on iron here at sea level, I started feeling better. And mm-hmm. I realized I must have been low, you know, without even realizing it. And uh, so I, you know, I, I saw it was kind of a wake up right there. Um, and it was impressed upon me, you know, when I showed up in Flagstaff, you have to keep your eye on this stuff because not everyone transitions well to training at, at high altitude. And mm-hmm. you have to do a bunch of things. I mean, yes, um, monitor blood work certainly helps, but even, you know, even things like easing into it. You know, I wasn't allowed to run the first day. I did next to nothing the first three days there, and I was going nuts. Mm. But it was by design. You know, Ben had taken th- other runners through this process, and he knew you had to do it a certain way. So, yeah, I was I was in good hands in that regard, and and the altitude definitely treated me well. Yeah, I mean, again, the book for for seeing a coach in action and I don't have much more experience than than Ben but yeah it was wonderful to see how he was holding you back how it was just very carefully planned um and there was yeah there was different ways you were putting through different runs when you're like shorter reps and things there were certain training things which surprised you even as somebody who you know coaches athletes to great skills there were things which surprised you weren't they with the running sessions yeah there is I'm actually working on uh, an article for um podium runner I don't know if you know it used to be competitor yeah uh, and it's um i i'm i'm describing the three most epic workouts i did while i was there uh i feel two ways about it because i don't want to give people the idea that that's what it was all about you know there were there were really only a handful of workouts like this but yeah all of these workouts were just structurally different um from what i do uh, at home, you know, they, Ben was a, a fan of kind of multi-pace or multi-intensity sessions. Um, so sessions that would add up to be quite beefy, you know, 12, 14, 16, 18 miles. But a lot of that is you're not just jogging, you know, you're doing tempo stuff, you know, high intensity reps. Um, and yeah, so, you know, work, work, I, there was one workout in particular that was when I saw it on, on the, uh, online training calendar it was so complex i actually had to create a crib sheet for it and i laminated it with uh, scotch tape and stuffed it in my running shorts to take with me for the workout because i knew i wasn't going to keep it all in my middle-aged brain so (laughs) and you gained quite notoriety you weren't sticking to the plan there's a few times you weren't sticking to it wasn't there that seemed to have surfaced in the book quite a lot you kind of like yeah yeah, I gained a reputation for being uh, disobedient, uh, but I was always running faster. Um, you know, th- that was tough too because I, 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 I felt like I'm really good at pacing. You know, like I am experienced, and you know, when I race, I almost always even or negative split. You know, I, I, I know how to pace, but suddenly five <laughs> staff, I really didn't, um, and I think it was partly because. Ben was not used to coaching runners like me, so he didn't really know what to make of me at first. Also, I was improving so quickly. You know, I was just this moving target. Um, And yeah, so it it took some time, you know, for us to get on the same page. But also, you know, Ben had to read me the riot act to a degree and say, hey, listen, uh, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should, Um, especially when it got got down to, you know, choosing a, a, you know, a pace for Chicago, you know, I needed to be able to nail that. That was, that was showtime, right? You know, because I, I, I've blown enough marathons to know um, that you can do that, right? <laughs> you know, if you air just a few, if you're a few seconds hot out of the gate, uh, you know, you can be hemorrhaging minutes in the last miles. So, so I, I didn't want to do that again. You, you just reminded me, actually. I mean, the 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 last the book is like something out of rocky i think even rocky is quoted at some point in the book i was going of course it is it was like it wasn't it? the scene wasn't it i was just like standing up there almost in a rocky film i'll leave you that for, i don't want to give too much away because i want people to see these moments and just enjoy them as much as i did but the description of you when the actual chicago marathon takes play what made me laugh out loud again <laughs> was just the amount of people who seemed to be talking to you 
and just having a chat and go, hey, I recognize you. And it was like, it happened again and again and again. And yeah, was that really, as, that must have just got on your nerves so much. You didn't need Yeah, to. I mean, that's another thing I felt two ways about because on the one hand, you know, it, I mean, how many, I'm not a pro, right? I wasn't, I wasn't at the very front and everyone knows my name and like they're shouting my name from, you know, the, the, the curb. But, you know, there were people in the race who knew exactly who I was just because I write and I had been, you know, sharing my journey. And so it was really cool. Uh, and I, as I don't, I don't want to give the, the impression that I didn't, don't appreciate. I mean, how cool is it? You're a few miles into a marathon. Some stranger sidles up next to you and says, hey, you inspire me. <laughs> At the same time, like, this is serious business, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to do something really hard that, that until, you know, weeks before I thought would be just so out of the question that I wasn't even, I was afraid to even like mention the goal to anyone. So like I had to focus, I, I didn't want to waste, you know, the tiniest bit of energy. And yeah, so there, that, that happened a few times. Yeah, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, I'll say some more about it because I just want people to watch it. Because even for the last minute where it's building up and you're worried about your injury, in fact, it came back, didn't it? The the adductor issue came back and literally, you know, well, no, I don't want to say too much about it, but um, yeah, it's a great book and people, you need to read it. Hopefully we've done justice in this conversation and you will be getting it when it comes out in the UK in June. Um, I just want to check if anyone in the room has got any particular questions for Matt here. I've been looking at the comments. I think they're just all listening and not typing at all. They're just, or they're just ordering your books online. Um, whilst I'm just chatting, if you have got any questions particularly you want to put to Matt, then feel free to ask them now. Um, so Matt, yes. Um, what have you got this again in, uh, do I say anything about it? You haven't retired have you <laughs> despite the chapter um what have you been doing since you've been well i've been i know what you've been doing because i've been following you on twitter crazily but um what's been your yeah your virtual ones what have you been doing in the last few months yeah so um yeah you know <laughs> when i when i when this whole fake pro runner experience came started to wind down you know, it's good that I went through it at the age I did and not when I was younger because I had a little more wisdom and perspective and I knew it would be a mistake to sort of try to keep it going. Um, so I knew I, I, I knew I, I, I was still hungry. You know, the fire was still there. I still wanted to chase dreams as an athlete or goals or ambitions or whatever, adventures, but I didn't want to try to, I knew I couldn't do that again. So um, I ended up, um, I've done triathlons as well. So I ended up, getting into my brain to try to at age 48 beat my Ironman triathlon time from when I was yeah. 31. Uh, so I spent <laughs> again, taking advantage of uh, wisdom gained. Uh, I gave myself 11 months to prepare for, for that. I needed every day of it. Um, so that was fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm all about unfinished business. I had just so much unfinished business, uh, but I've taken care of most of it now. Um, yeah, the last few months I, so I was, I, I want to get good at, at ultra marathons. Um, and I, I'm not yet. It's, it's like the marathon all over again. Like I was a terrible marathoner before I, I sort of cracked the nut and now I feel very confident both preparing for and executing a marathon, not so much with anything longer. My, um, so that's sort of the, the next big thing for me, um, is to try to, uh, master that, that distance. It's not really, if I were only going to do what I was sort of designed for, I wouldn't even go there, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the next adventure. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, yeah, I can't wait to be on here talking about that. What you've achieved in here into the next thing, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. Um, I've got a question here from James, just quickly. If anyone's got any other questions, let me know. So we're running a little bit out of time. James Holland says, let's put it up here on the board. Can you talk a little about periodization, easy weeks, etc.? Specific to the book, how did you find the, the relationship? Was it an 80-20? Because sometimes I hear with these guys, it's more like 90-10. But was, there, was it the easy days are easy and the hard days are hard? Did that kind of come out in the book? Yeah. I mean, 
Ben in particular, he believes, and particularly in marathon segments, he believes in doing a lot of work in kind of the moderate range. And he, it's between uh, critical velocity on the low end, which is the fastest pace you could hold for about 30 minutes, to uh, steady state pace on the slow end, which is about the fastest pace you could sustain for two hours. So we did a ton of work in that range. And that range is not low intensity. Um, and for the pros, it's not even slow, <laughs> you know, not even close. But, and, but you know, I found, um, so you can do more of that than you can do true speed work. So I didn't break it down and, and the pros don't even measure it this way, but it was, it was 80, 20. Um, mm -hmm. I think I actually might've done it for one week, just out of curiosity to see how it yeah. broke down. It, it, it really did in terms of, if you measure by time, um, mm. um, weekly training time in different in the three different intensity buckets. It, it really was 80-20 ish, even though Ben couldn't have told you that. Uh, they have they, they they worry more about yeah easy days and hard days and appropriate volume of work on the hard days, and it just sort of work out works out to 80-20 ish. Yeah, it becomes apparent in the book these people are on another planet. I mean, it's and and it's a wonderful thing. It reminds me. I've got it here actually to remind me. It was the um, at the Arizona snowball, which was a particularly high elevated area you were running in. And there was a conversation um, with you and Scott. Um, and I think you asked him, I'm quoting here, what's the elevation here? And he said, 9,000 feet, 9,000 feet. Um, and you said, excuse me, my language. Holy shit. What's the, that's the least of the language in the book. But yeah. Holy shit. What's the rationale for running this high up? And uh, Scott's reply was, it's beautiful. <laughs> and of course you and no, no 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 i mean this the physiological rationale looking for an explanation a little bit of conversation and in your words you just said scott gave me a queer look as though i'd asked him for the nutritive value of a cheesecake <laughs> there is none he said it's just beautiful and i thought that kind of sums up how these people live i mean they are yeah. it's just they don't think about am i doing 80 20 should i be just appreciating life aren't they it's a crazy yeah. thing you know, part of what i i really enjoyed while i was there is that no one thought of me as an expert on anything like none of them had read any of my books <laughs> which i thought was wonderful like because like why would they <laughs> yeah i guess yeah when you're at that level it's strange it's it's still running but they're like a different crowd yeah yeah and a lot of it doesn't apply i mean a lot of it just doesn't apply it's it's you're, you're paying apples and pears aren't you um but that said what you're going to be talking about touch wood um, please God at the run chat live conference is that you can put into effect some of these things that the elites do with regards to nutrition and the training and stuff. So you must believe there then therefore there is a lot we can do mimicking these people to, to reach our goals. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, my instinct was always, you know, if I want to be the best runner I can be, um, I want to know what the winners do you know what like how do they prepare it just makes sense to me you know i, I like science but scientists aren't good coaches <laughs> by, by and large right you know and that's not really where i i just sort of knew that like like you pay attention to the science but you copy the elites um you know wisely <laughs> And so that's what I've always done. And then, you know, as, I just believe that it's a conviction. So when I, as, as a coach and well, whatever authority, whatever expert who's trying to help other runners improve, I'm, that's, that's my shtick as well. I'm like, here's the science, but like, here's where the rubber meets the road. Like do what the pros do. I think everyone should uh, in a scaled, appropriately scaled way, do what the pros do. Like they actually know what they're doing. And part of why I wanted to guinea pig myself the way I did as, as a fake pro runner was to walk the talk. You know, you know that's why really there was there was kind of a lot at stake for me because if it didn't work, there goes my conviction. You know, because my feeling is, you know, we can all do it. Mere mortals can do what the pros do if we scale mm -hmm. it. Um, so I wanted to kind of I, I wanted to walk away with some validation of that belief. And I did. You did. You certainly did. Yeah, you brought it home. Yeah, yeah. And and I really do hope. I mean, people obviously should be persuaded now. You can't get it yet in the UK, but um, yeah, once June comes along, you can pre-order it now. 
so go to amazon and do that it's a fantastic book really is and it's one of those books which like most of matt's books you just find time to read it it's like i've got half an hour here kids are in bed great let's have a read of this kids are in the bath fight oh they'll be okay fine they can swim let's have a look. it is one of those books where you just want to find out the next chapter because it's just a cliffhanger of the days before the marathon and it's just brilliant so and and then also it's 903 so tickets have gone live now for munchet live conference 2020 Geez, I hope it happens. But like I say, if it doesn't happen face to face, then we will put on a virtual show. But let's be positive. Let's imagine that you now do have the chance to see Matt um, in Brighton, United Kingdom on the 29th and the 30th of October. Um, Matt, thank you so much for giving up your time once again. Um, you're a total um, inspiration and and a born comedian i said last time if it doesn't work out which i know it will then it's just stand up all the way i still have you never tried stand up like in california or something have you ever been tempted no i i think i would choke i think would... <laughs> again <laughs> right that's a perfect stand up answer <laughs> but that would be your hook that would be the guy standing up there by himself on the stage looking out with the microphone going I really shouldn't be here, you know. I think you could do it. It seems like no, 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 no. Believe me, um, I no. when you, when you, when you a master, especially in Britain, British humor is very much about putting yourself down so everyone loves you. I can't remember who I was. I was listening to some comedians' podcast because I love comedy, and and they said that's very different in America. A lot of the comedians are bigging themselves up. And they're kind of strutting around and i'm the best now i'm cool and it's kind of whereas in england you've got to say i'm fat i'm short i'm old i'm bald so what and then everyone loves you and you crack on with it so you my friend if you're ever looking for some gigs i'll work it out in the uk you would go down a storm anyway um i don't want to keep you any longer that's amazing what i'm going to do matt is i'm going to send you back down to the lobby very very briefly as so i just say thank you to people and uh, oh he's already gone um he disappeared that was good timing right um how did you get kicked out? I didn't do that. I didn't touch anything. Okay, people. Right. Thank you very much for uh, being along. I hope you enjoyed that. It's such an inspirational book, but so is all this stuff. Um, if this has enticed you to get on with uh, Matt Fitzgerald, um, then Running the Dream is the top of the iceberg for you. You've got a whole catalogue of amazing books there. And remember, life is a marathon. Running the Dream. But if you can, life is a marathon beforehand. Just you know about what maketh the man that is Matt Fitzgerald. Right, that's it. Um, you guys best get over to Eventbrite now. I will be putting the link up in the Facebook post very shortly. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm hopefully, touch wood, I pray that uh, we'll be seeing each other. I'm sure we'll talk before then, but we'll be seeing each other in Brighton in, um, in the UK on the 29th and the 30th, which is a Thursday and Friday um, of October. It's enough time? I think so. Stay safe and um, we'll see you. Look out for the podcast coming up. I've still got some fantastic guests. I'm very, very excited. We've got Claire Minshall coming up, I believe, next week. Um, so we really are putting on thick and furious in COVID-19. Claire Minshall is going to be talking about strength and conditioning for running. The 101s of strength for running. You've heard about it now for Matt. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. So Claire is going to tell you exactly, Dr. Claire Minshall is going to tell you exactly how to do it. So make sure you join us next week for that same time, same place. Um, it's been emotional. I'm in such a better mood than I was when I started. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Brian Beer Company. And we'll speak to you very soon. Take care. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.